Be seated. <laughs> if I zig as a Baptist when it's time to zag as an Anglican, please forgive me. My thanks to Father John and whoever else may have had a part in this invitation. I stand before you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and together we shall explore the epistle reading for today. From the playground to the battlefield, we evaluate our power in relation to the power of those around us. From the kindergarten classroom to the executive boardroom, we assess what power we have. Preoccupied with the extent of our power, we will eventually have to determine whether we have the power to save our eternal souls. But there's good news. Jesus is the redeemer of everything. We humans are in a constant love-hate struggle with power. We love power when it is ours, and we hate power when it is in the hands of those with whom we disagree. Our human tendency is to refine power when it's ours and to reform power when it belongs to someone else. I speak of all and of every kind of power. Let us consider for a moment the refining of power when it is ours. We humans want to refine the power of the atom so that we might have more frightening bombs and more inexpensive electricity. We refine our power grid so that we might have warmth in the new lows of cold weather and functioning air conditioners in the new highs of hot weather. In politics, we strive to stay in power so that we might refine power to our way of thinking and our way of living. On this 4th of July, we celebrate a balance of world power that still seems to tilt in favor of the United States. And toward that end, we work to refine our nation's natural resources toward more efficiency in wonderful projects of development and in projects of destruction. Let us consider as well the reforming of power. That is when it belongs to someone else. In politics, we want to reform voting districts. It's called gerrymandering. We want to reform voter districts, voting districts for the purpose of keeping our party in, of power in, in the place of power, our party of choice in the place of power. We want to reform the courts so that the power of impartial judges is partially toward our way of thinking. We want humans, we as humans want to reform the structures and policies and procedures that will help us retain and then refine positions of power. Let us before God this morning confess our nation's struggle with power. For to do so is to confess our personal struggle each of us, the power struggle of we the people is, if I may say so, also the power struggle of we the church. The refining and reforming of power, though, is not enough. Let us confess that we want power enough to declare the powerless to be unworthy and who they are. Let us confess that we want enough power to determine our own comfort of body, mind, and soul. We confess before God with faith that we will be forgiven, even redeemed, new re, redeemed from the pit of power because we gather and pray in the, in the name of Jesus, 
As I said just a moment ago, Jesus is the redeemer of everything. Earlier in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, in Christ, everything is made new. Christ says of himself in Revelation, behold, I make all things new. So he's the redeemer of everything. Our souls, our worldview, our relationship to the creator, our relationship to our enemies. And as we shall see, Jesus also redeems our enslavement to power. In his second letter to the Corinthian church, we read this morning, St. Paul said that he had experienced some kind of heavenly vision that regular old church folk like you and me wouldn't be able to handle. Even if he was to tell us, we couldn't handle it. So to keep himself from boasting about having seen this heavenly vision, says the saint, God helped him stay humble by putting a thorn in his flesh. Paul is in a constant struggle with his tendency to boast. But he knows that boasting is wrong. He also knows that there is no real power in boasting, only imagined power. So to protect us and to avoid this tendency within himself, Paul does not describe his vision. It's also true, Paul doesn't describe the thorn that he mentions. For all of his faith in God, Paul doesn't seem to have much faith in us. He won't describe the vision or the thorn. So let's take a look at what Paul does think we can handle. Whatever the thorn was, it pained him so much that Paul prayed three times for God to remove it. Paul has a thorn in his flesh and it's poking at both his theology and his ego. Three times he asked God to pull the thorn out, but God's answer was, no, Paul, instead of removing the thorn, I'm going to give you the grace to live with it. I want you to see that my grace is sufficient and can pull you through. The lesson seems to be this. The power of the Lord's heavenly glory, Paul's vision that he won't tell us about, is not what is needed out amongst the folks on earth. Rather, it is God's grace that is needed. Keep the vision and the thorn to yourself. You want to wield the power and the glory of visions proclaimed and thorns removed. But you and the church have been called to grace work, not power work. My grace is sufficient. The power drunk see grace as weakness. But God told Paul, power is made perfect in weakness. That's what the Lord said. My power is made perfect in weakness. We are God's people. We are to show the world that it is redeemed and perfected grace. Redeemed and perfected power is God's sufficient grace. Paul was a quick learner. He got it. Redeemed, perfected power is to be found in, in God's sufficient grace. I get it, says Paul. The folks on earth do not need a power-hungry church made up of boastful people strutting around saying, I have seen paradise. The world needs a church that is humbled by God's grace flowing through it. The world needs a church that understands the painful thorns of the people of the world. The world needs a church that knows itself to be the body of Christ, redeemed, but with the nail print still showing. Christ's crown on earth was a crown of thorns. 
Are we not his followers? St. Paul had just one thorn, and it kept him preoccupied. Jesus is what thorns? A crown. Paul had just one, but it it was sufficient to moderate his boasting and to connect him to power made perfect. Christ following is thorny. For Christ following and Christ's followers are to feel the thorns of people of all on earth and to show and to tell his grace is sufficient. But who wants thorny power that sometimes pokes us with insults and hardships and for some even persecution? Let's be honest, power and weakness, even Christ-like weakness, is counterintuitive. God's power made perfect in weakness sounds like foolishness, and it's not very, well, let me say today, July 4th, it's not very American. On this date 245 years ago, representatives of the original 13 British colonies, we now call New England, told the king of Old England that they were declaring their independence, sort of. What the colonists did was to declare a change in their dependence, a courageous, faith-filled change in their dependence. They were reforming power so that they might refine it toward greater freedom. But they knew, even as we know, that independence is the freedom to choose in whose power or upon what power we shall depend. No one is truly and purely independent, not the proudest Texas rancher, not the most remote Alaskan subsistence farmer, not the wealthiest business person. No one is truly independent. The original colonists in 1776 at great risk stood up and declared to a monarch their decision to put their dependence upon God and upon each other, come what may. Since then, the governing political power has moved and been refined and reformed. It's moved from London to Philadelphia to Washington, D.C., out amongst the now 50 states. But here in this sanctuary, on this day, we are called to something more something deeper. We are called to again depend upon a king. We are called to a power redeemed and perfected by that king, but his name is Jesus. Struggles continue as we try to embrace the redeemed and perfected power found in the person and the teachings of Jesus. We, the church, have a big decision to make, and there are fireworks aplenty in the making of it. We are once again forced to choose the power upon which we shall depend. This decision is not made once a year on July 4th. This decision is not made even once a week on Sunday. This decision is made daily, like picking up your daily cross, that kind of decision, that kind of daily In whom or upon whom shall we declare our dependence, our vision of power? We are constantly deciding. It is a thorny situation. Indeed, it is being in the world, but not of it. Jesus tells us and shows us that we can indeed swap power sources. The perfected power of Christ's way will catch the world's attention and imagination, challenging by stark contrast the world's notion of what real power looks like. 
It is right for us this morning. Let me turn that around. Is it right for us this morning to apply this teaching of Scripture to a nation? And is it polite to do so on its birthday? Yes, I think so in both cases. Christ in us is the hope. We in the sanctuary. Christ in us who hold dual citizenship in the kingdom of heaven and in the United States. We are the church. If we switch our dependence from worldly power to the perfected power of God's grace, we the people can still and will still make a difference. When we leave this hour of worship in this sanctuary on this Sunday, which happens to be our nation's birthday, we will make the decision as to whether we will relate to people as Jesus did and does, or if we will put a lesser power on display. It's true of the individual Christ follower and congregated together, it becomes true of the church. When it becomes true of the church, it can become true of America itself. If we, the people, are first and foremost the people of the way, we can affect our nation. We must seek power made perfect, not perfected by tactics or technology, but perfected by the overwhelming and sufficient grace found in Christ. Can such a thing happen? It can if we allow worship to transform us toward Christ-likeness, if we allow worship to realign our concept of power. The way of Christ is powerful. And its contrast to power as usual on earth is stunning. The sad alternative to the eternal power of Christ in us is the short-lived fake power of boasting and bullying. Paul knew that. Individuals, churches, nations, even Christianity itself, all are susceptible becoming boastful, boastful bullies. Paul continually fought the tendency to be boastful. We see his argument right in the reading for today from the epistle. But the Holy Spirit calls us away from boasting and bullying. The Holy Spirit turns us toward a courageous humility born of the perfected power found in the all-sufficient grace of God. In our own strength, we will always refine and reform power toward our own benefit and our own agenda. But power redeemed by Christ is power turned in favor of the powerless. That's where he lives, on the margin with them. It will be turned toward the least of these. Turned toward the kingdom of God. And in that turning, in that redemption, power is perfected and grows with, and glows rather with a glory that Paul couldn't describe. Let us declare here before God, not annually, not weekly, but accepting our daily bread and daily thorns, let us declare that we shall exercise our independence by placing our full dependence on perfected power, the sufficient grace of God in Christ. We make that declaration of dependence every time we partake of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, Jesus, the Redeemer of everything. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.